You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. Um, as we get into this morning, I, 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 want to, I want to prepare you. It's okay to be offended. <laughs> Here's my apology ahead of times. Uh, many times I think we're, we, we easily get offended because we become defensive about our beliefs when they're challenged, or we're de- we become defensive about our behaviors when they're challenged. Um, I, I want to tell you today, sometimes it's just because we don't know what offense is. Sometimes we don't know how to process it. Sometimes we are unsettled, we are sad, we are angry, and we don't exactly understand why or what to do with it. My prayer to you this morning is that the Holy Spirit would just convict our hearts. There's no condemnation in this house, but I pray that he would bring conviction to our hearts that would lead us into repentance. Amen? That is the goal, is to get us into repentance. So I'm, prefer, I'm, I'm prefacing now, um, as, we, as we hear, as we listen to the word, you know, let's look in the mirror. Let's ask, you know, if something does offend you, the first question should always be, why does this offend me? Why does this bother me? Let's look in the mirror first. Let's do some self-reflection and self-evaluation. Let's look in the scriptures. Correction and discipline is always an invitation to maturity and growth. Correction and discipline is always an invitation into maturity and growth. It's always an invitation into more of Jesus. Amen. (laughs) If you're taking notes this morning, you can title this Lawlessness and Legalism. (laughs) In the Bible Belt, I see that, that Christians, the Bible Belt would be the south where there's a church on every street corner. In the Bible Belt, I see that Christians struggle with the religious spirit more than any other. This is a demonic spirit. It makes us believe that we have to measure up in order to be accepted. It turns our relationship-based religion into a works-based religion. Or it tricks people into thinking that saying the prayer or doing good works is good enough. It's the same spirit that influenced the Pharisees and the Gospels. It's the same spirit that influenced the Judaizers that Paul opposed in Galatia. Now, if you have missed our Galatians series, I really want to encourage you, like, it's super important. It should be your favorite book. Um, but Paul is directly addressing the church in Galatia, and if you've missed it, go check it out on the podcast, because it's actually, it's really good and really insightful and really helpful and lots of revelation there. And, and if, if you haven't been coming on Wednesday nights, I want to encourage you to, sh- shameless plug for Wednesday night, come and join us on, uh, on Wednesday night at 7 as we continue our Galatians um, study. But, but I want to oppose this religious spirit this morning. I want to do some spiritual warfare. Can we do some spiritual warfare this morning? Let's do some spiritual warfare against this demonic spirit. I want us to look in the mirror. I want us to check our own hearts, our own hearts. The danger sometimes the religious spirit is we become very self-righteous, and as we hear a sermon that is being preached, we begin to think about everybody else that needs to hear it. That that can easily be self-righteousness. We need to focus on ourselves this morning and understand how does this apply to me? What are some ways that maybe I am off and need some correction? Now, I titled this Lawless and Legalism because I, I believe that lawless and legalism are the two main characteristics of the spirit of religion. And if you think today while I'm preaching that I'm too graceful, you might be the legalistic one. And if you think today that I'm being too legalistic, you might be the lawless one. <laughs> Simply, lawlessness is distorting God's law. And legalism is adding to God's law. And I believe that both are directly tied to one another, and I believe that both directly fuel each other. And we see them both at the very beginning of time in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. 
we see the lawless one, the devil, the serpent, come and tempt Eve, and he immediately distorts God's law. How does he distort God's law? Because he comes to Eve and he says, did God really say that? Is that what God really meant? Are you sure, Eve? And you've got, a lot of, you've got a lot of that in the church today where people are going and go, is that what God really said in here? Is that what that Hebrew word really means? Is that what that Greek word really means? Because he loves you and you can do whatever you want and he'll forgive you. He just doesn't want your eyes to be opened to how good that actually is going to be for you. Or and then you have Eve who got legalistic and she added to the law of God. Because when Satan asked her that, Eve responds with legalism and says, no, he said, don't eat it or even touch it, for in that day you will surely die. But that is not what God said. He said, if you will eat it, you will die. But he didn't say anything about touching it. But Eve set up this legalistic command that not that, now, not touching it was probably wisdom. Staying away from it probably would have been wisdom, but God didn't say that. She added to this law and the enemy was able to come and distort her view and, and make her believe that God was withholding something from her and that all of these laws that he had were unfair even though he only had one. <laughs> but that's a great deception. I think sometimes we fall into lawlessness is because we believe that God is withholding something from us. I believe that's the great deception of sin is that God is withholding something from us. Now, with Satan and with Eve, both seemed right, but in the end thereof was death. Lawlessness and legalism can seem right, but Proverbs 14, 12 says the end thereof is death. Both of these ditches, lawless and legal, legalism, are ditches that Christians can easily fall into. You see lawlessness with the progressive Christian movement that is from hell, it's demonic You see that in one ditch, and then the other ditch, you see legalistic denomination. <laughs> I grew up in some legalistic denominational stuff. I went to a very, very, very strict Pentecostal school where my Bible teacher told me if I wore shorts, I was going to hell. <laughs> I grew up in some of that legalistic religion. You got these ditches where one perverts grace and one ignores grace where one perverts truth and the other abuses truth. Now, lawlessness fueled by legalism and legalism is fueled by lawlessness. I believe each are rooted in pride, believing they are the answer to the other. It's the devil. He's so crafty at, at dividing us. And so he's got one group that's coming up against and thinking they're the answer to the legalism and then we think legalism is the answer to the lawlessness. And they're not the answer for the other. Jesus is the answer for each of them. <clears throat> There is a way that we are called to walk that is the road between these ditches, and that road in Isaiah is called the highway of holiness. Holiness is essential. Holiness is essential, and it doesn't look like legalism, and it doesn't look like lawlessness. It looks like Jesus. Holiness looks like Jesus. It's not adding to the law to earn God's affection. It's not being perfect so that you'll be approved of. It's not abandoning the law and living however you want to because grace, pastor, no, holiness looks like Jesus. It looks like us becoming like Jesus by pursuing Jesus. <clears throat> it's important that we understand that we are saved, that God has brought us into relationship with him, that we have a positional holiness. We have been made right with God. We have been justified. We have been sanctified. But now I am also being sanctified. 
I am, I, I am saved. I can come into his throne room boldly, but now as I'm pursuing him, he is continually making me more holy. Romans 8 says that I'm predestined to be transformed into the image of Christ. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, that didn't happen overnight. I'm still working on a few things. My temper still get riding 16 hours in a car with four kids under eight will really test your patience. Really test the fruit of the spirit that you're walking in there. And so are there some areas where I'm still being sanctified, where Jesus is still working on me, and that is not legalism. That's holiness. <clears throat> now, lawlessness makes holiness simply positional, while legalism makes it simply pursuit. Lawlessness makes holiness simply positional, while legalism makes it simply pursuit. We've got to marry those together. It's positional pursuit of Jesus. There's a perverted grace message that causes people to believe that once they're saved, they can live however they want and get away with it. That's not grace. That's not grace, friend. And if that's how grace was taught to you, you've been deceived. It's demonic. It's not grace. That's lawlessness. John Stott said, to teach the standards of moral conduct that adorn the gospel and insist that our hearers heed them is neither legalism nor pharisaic, but apostolic Christianity. We've got to understand, church, that a spiritual leader, a pastor, a brother and sister, a spouse confronting or correcting us about our sin is not spiritual abuse. And it's not manipulation. It's discipleship. It's discipleship. Teaching God's law and observing God's law or living it out is not legalism unless it is taught apart from the justification of Jesus. Teaching, John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Well, if it's just grace and Jesus is just this guru tiptoeing through the daisies kind of guy and you can do whatever you want, what is he talking about? If you love me, you'll obey me. This, read the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus correctly interpreting the Mosaic Law. <laughs> and, and as we talk about this, as we talk about not walking in lawlessness, I want to I preface, I'm not talking about the lawlessness of unbelievers. I'm not talking about the lawlessness of unbelievers. I'm really not even talking about the lawlessness of progressive Christians, because I would say they're serving a different God. God bless you. <clears throat> I'm not talking about what's going on in culture. I'm talking about the lawlessness of Christians, of believers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 that we judge those inside the church, not outside the church. And so if a, if a brother or sister or pastor or mo mother or father or somebody comes to you and confronts the sin in your life that is part of the body of Christ, are they judging you? Yes, because God has called them to. <laughs> and that's hard, for, that's hard for us to understand one time. But, but, so I'm not talking about lawlessness outside the church. I'm talking about the lawlessness in our own lives, the lawlessness in our own churches. But I do believe that the law, lawlessness of the land is a direct reflection of the lawlessness and legalism inside the church. Because the church has been so full of hypocritical and unloving and judgmental behavior, we have inherited a morality problem in our nation. And we have a morality problem in our nation because the church has a Jesus problem. Because the church preaches one way and lives another way. <clears throat> The church has not reflected him like we were supposed to. Now, 
Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it clear. He did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. Listen to me. I had somebody walk out one time. They got mad at me. We were doing a panel, and I was, I'm quoting scripture. Matthew 5, 17, and they got mad at me and walked out and said, Jesus didn't come to fulfill the law. Well, that's right out of his mouth, verbatim, red letters. So you're not offended at me, you're offended at Christ. So Jesus said in John 15, he didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill the law. Now, here's something that we need to understand, church. The same Jesus in the New Testament is Jesus in the Old Testament. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same, what John calls him the word of God, that word is the same word in Leviticus. And people, and people don't want to hear that because they want to continue walking in their sin. Listen, <laughs> in the Old Testament, there's different types of laws. Maybe some, there's three major types of laws. There's sacrificial law, there's ceremonial law, and there's moral law. Jesus fulfilled all three. But now that the ceremony is over, I no longer have to perform the ceremony. Now that the sacrifice is over, I no longer have to perform the sacrifice. But there is a moral law that we are still called to obey. Now, are we going to obey it perfectly? No, but Jesus did and gave us his righteousness. Here, grace is not a license to sin. Here's what grace is. Grace is, is Jesus fulfilling those law, giving you his righteousness, washing you in his blood, sending the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you, and now empower you to walk that out. That is what grace is. Grace is not, I mean, I guess you could start with its unmerited favor. That's why grace, that's why I hear it taught a lot, unmerited favor. But grace, you read Romans 6, 7, and 8, grace is the empowerment for you to overcome sin. That's what grace is. <clears throat> now, <laughs> we're no longer slaves to the law. We can still sin. We can still disobey. We have the righteousness of God, but we can still grieve the Spirit. And just... And, <laughs> You read the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus kind of makes it, seems to make it a little bit harder. Except he doesn't make it harder, he makes it easier. Because he comes after our hearts. And he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I said, if you look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so he's coming after that heart because all exterior behaviors all come from here. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so Jesus was coming after our heart. He says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say, don't even be angry with your brother. First Peter 2.16 says, For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. <laughs> so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. First Corinthians 6, this is one that, skip a lot, this is one that don't really, don't grow your church. <laughs> don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, or who commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or are greedy people, or are drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now we read that, and, and, and many times we think about those people that are doing those things, like, that's, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Ha! Gotcha! His word says it right here. But then you get to verse 11, and it changes the game. Because if you understand verse 11, you understand the heart of God. Because verse 11 says, some of you were once like that. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so now you get to verse 11, and if you've really been transformed, the, the ones who are in verse 9 and 10, your heart should go out to them to pull them into what you have. 
It's not that you don't want them to inherit the kingdom of God. It's that you've tasted the goodness of the Father. You've been saved. You've been set free from your sin. And so now you also want the same thing for those people who are still living in lawlessness. Verse 12, Paul goes on to say, he's quoting the Corinthians. He says, you say everything is lawful for me or I'm allowed to do anything. But then Paul says, but not everything is good for you. And even though quote-unquote, I'm allowed to do anything or everything is lawful for me, I must not become a slave to anything. Romans 6, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. What does that mean? It means I'm a slave to Jesus. Although I don't really want to enter in slavery. It's slavery, but it's freedom. It's freedom. What is grace that leaves you bound? That's not grace. I was addicted I was needy. I was struggling. I was bound. I didn't want somebody to come in and say, you can keep doing all these things and Jesus loves you, God bless. I needed to be set free. That's what real grace does is it comes in and sets you free. And anyone who thinks grace is a license to sin clearly does not read this. Real grace doesn't leave you in sin. It empowers you to overcome it. It's the favor given through the revelation of the goodness of God that causes you to run to him, which is the antidote to every piece of dysfunction in your heart and your life. Grace is more than unmerited favor. It is God's willingness to fill us with the Holy Spirit to do in us and through us what we could never do ourselves. A.W. Tozer, man, if you've never read A.W. Tozer, he's the man. He says the Holy Spirit never enters a man and lets him live like the world. If there is no process of transformational change to become more like Christ, then there has been no positional change. The true Christian ideal is not to be happy, but to be holy. See, the the gospel is not, take a break from A.W., the gospel is not come to Jesus and he'll make your life better. The gospel is come to Jesus because he's worthy. That's the gospel. And when you get that revelation, guess what happens? Your life gets better materially sometimes but friend i could lose it all but i still got him (laughs) blessed are the pure in heart for they will see god i'm blessed because i get to see him come on man back to aw he said the whole purpose of god in redemption is to make us holy and to restore us to the image of god to accomplish this he disengages us from earthly ambitions and draws us away from the cheap and unworthy prizes that worldly men set their hearts upon if you do not desire to be holy i do not see that you have any right to think that you are a christian aw man all right turn to first john chapter three. First john chapter three what i want us to see this morning church is that there is a war for your obedience you're obeying something. We're all going to be a slave to something. So you think, man, that's really legalistic. I don't all this obedience talk. I don't know about all that. You're a slave to something. You're obeying something. Romans eight says that you're, if you dwell on the flesh, you're you're obeying your sin nature. You're obeying your carnal nature. But those who walk in the spirit obey the spirit. First John chapter three, verse one. Now, if you get offended at this, this is John saying this. Okay, so take it up with him. He says, see how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they do not know him. 
Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know what we will, that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Yeesh. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now, John is not talking, he's not talking, saying that you're never going to sin. He's not saying that you're going to be perfect. He's not saying that you're not going to struggle. But what he's saying is the lawless one who enjoys the sin. A big key marker that you need to understand about salvation, about being born again. <clears throat> when I was born again, I, I didn't become completely perfect, but what changed was my heart. And the sin that I used to find pleasure in was now only pleasurable for a season. The sin I used to partake in enjoyment, I partook in and hated it. So what's a sign that you're saved? You hate sin. You hate what it does to you. You hate how it causes you to feel. You hate how it destroys your life. You hate what it does to other people. And John is not talking, saying that you're not going to struggle, you're not ever going to sin, but that you are going to hate your sin. What he's contrasting here is you're a child of God, you're serving him. When he's talking about being a child of the devil, see, Satanism is not about worshiping Satan. It's about worshiping yourself. That's what Satanism, the founder of Satanism, Anton LaVey, who's a creepy guy who wrote the Satanic Bible, he says it's not about worshiping Satan, it's about worship of self. And man, do we have a lot of that in our culture. And in 1 Timothy, Paul says in the last days, which since Jesus resurrected, we're in the last days. Doesn't mean that the end is near, but it means that we're in the end times. That people will become lovers of self. Lovers of self. Here's what we need to know. <laughs> Selfishness is the opposite of the gospel. Selfishness is the opposite of the gospel. Self-centeredness is the opposite of the gospel. Self-care, self-help are not the gospel. And they're not going to help you like you think that they're going to help you. In fact, the more that you focus on yourself, you'll find the more miserable you're going to become. This is not a self-help gospel. This is a self-denial gospel. It's not a self-help gospel. It's a self-denial gospel. There's only one commandment in all four gospels. Only one commandment is found in all four of the gospels. If it's found in all four, it may be the most important. But it goes something like this. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me. If any man seeks to save his life, he's going to lose it. But if he'll lose his life for my sake, he'll find true life. This is a self-denial gospel. And it's self-denial. And when you deny yourself, you find him. And you get true, abundant, resurrection life. 
but it comes through the gateway of death to myself and my dreams and my plans and what I want to do. But friend, just like Paul says, I count it all as loss because I get him and he's so much better than anything I was ever going to accomplish. Come on. John is talking to us about holiness. Now holiness, a lot of times I think we think holiness means not sinning. But holiness doesn't necessarily mean not sinning. That's a part of it. But when we say, when we, when we cry out, and when the angels in heaven right now are singing, holy, 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 is the Lord of heaven's host, they're not saying, you don't have sin, you don't have sin, you don't have sin. That's not what they're saying. That's not what that means. They're saying, you are so different. You are so other than. You are so not normal. You are so uncommon. You are so separate from everything else. If you look at the Hebrew word for holy, it literally means to cut off of something. So you have been separate. We have been cut off to where we are separate from the world. We are separate from normal. We are separate from being secular. Holiness is not about not sinning. Holiness is about who you belong to. You don't do holiness. You are holy. Holiness is about you belonging to Jesus. Holiness is about you being with him. Holiness isn't about morality, it's about belonging. And if you learn who you belong to and you stay close to him, guess what takes care of itself? Morality. Now, the, reason that, the only reason that people slip into lawlessness or into legalism is because they slip out of abiding. The reason that people slip into lawlessness or the reason they slip into legalism is because they slip out of abiding. Now, I've seen, and this is how lawlessness and legalism fuel each other, but I've, I, I see a lot of young people slip into lawlessness. They still believe in Jesus, but they slip into this progressive Christianity because their whole life they were raised in really legalistic settings. They had the law forced down their throat. They had people trying to modify their behavior, and there was no grace given. And so they slide into this deconstruction of faith because somebody called me to a higher standard, and I got... I got wounded, okay? There's a problem on both sides, okay? On one side, on the lawless side, it's because they put their faith in man and not faith in Jesus. On the legalistic side, it's because they wanted people to look like them and not look like him. Both of them fell out of the place of prayer. Both of them fell out of the place of prayer. But holiness isn't about moralism. It's not about living up to what God says, but living out our new nature empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's not legalism. Living a life of repentance is not legalism. Living a life of holiness is where I live, looking in this like it's the mirror, asking the Lord, having the heart of David, bring me conviction, show me where I'm wrong. It's where we, where we lean into the voice of the Lord, and when he says run, I ask him how fast after I start. My mama used to tell me, boy, if I tell you to jump, you better ask me how high on the way up. I thought she was nuts. <laughs> but it's where when the Lord says lay it down, you lay it down. When he says pick it up, pick it up. When he says wait, you stay until he tells you to go. It's about you obey him. Jesus says if you love me, you'll obey me. And it's not... Holiness is not about obeying him to get me to love, to get him to love me. It's about I'm obeying him because he does love me. 
because he does love me. Let me use this example. <clears throat> the best part about Sarah and I's marriage is not our marriage license. I don't even know where our marriage license is. And honestly, I could care less. Why? Because I'm not in love with a piece of paper. I'm in love with her. I'm not in love with the law that tells me that I'm married to her. I'm in love with her. Does that make sense? Now listen, when a engaged couple, think back, my married folk, think back when you were engaged and you were, about, you were going to get married and you were love drunk and you're preparing for the wedding and you're going on diets and you're working out and you're getting the nicest suit and you're getting the nicest dress and you know you're trying to fit in that size that you were when you were 18 again and you you know you're in you're budgeting and you're figuring out how this is going to work and I'm going to hurry up and finish college and I'm going to get this job and I'm going to get this career I'm going to do all these things because I, I, I want marriage to be amazing you think how much planning goes into one day how much money goes into one day right? Why do they do that for each other? Because they have to? No. It's because they're in love. It's because they're in love. Church, can I remind us this morning that we are the bride of Christ? And we're approaching a wedding day. And I want to get ready for him. I want to get ready for him. I want to look as much like him as I can by the time that he gets here. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on let's see first uh, peter chapter 1 verses 15 through 17 says but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in your conduct because he it is written be holy for i am holy and if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear now he's not talking about fear like afraid this word fear means reverence for one's husband reverence for one's husband this is bridal language. Sarah, my wife, she's amazing, beautiful, on the front row, on the second row, in the white dress. She's taken, so. <laughs> Sarah has reverence for and maintains purity for me, not because she is afraid of me or because she is hell-bent on obeying the rules of marriage, but because she is in love with me. I maintain purity and reverence for God, not because I'm afraid of him, but because I'm in love with him. That's the whole, that's the whole deal. <clears throat> it's come from love. Fear-based holiness is not going to work. 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out all fear. That is not talking about your fear of tornadoes. Or your fear of spiders. Or your fear of whatever. That's not what he's talking about. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear comes with punishment. It's talking about being afraid of being punished by the Lord. But the punishment's been taken, friend. The punishment is gone. Fear of hell did not save me. I think hell needs to be preached about. It's an absolute reality. And I think the main thing for hell, hell should motivate believers to be evangelists. But hell does not motivate me to love the Lord. Hell, never, hell didn't motivate me out of lawlessness. Romans 2, 4 says it's the goodness of God that leadeth men unto repentance. When I saw how incredible and how amazing and how lovely and how beautiful he is, it made me run far away from my sin and close to him. It's the goodness of God that leads us into holiness, not punishment. 
We have got to know that forced submission will only produce lawlessness. Legalism produces a lawless heart. In Matthew 23, Jesus turns to the Pharisees and says, you'll go over land and sea to find a follower, and you'll turn him into twice the son of hell that you are. Legalism turns us into cold, dead religious hypocrites because we're trying to obey the law on our own strength and trying to earn affection that's already been given. (laughs) But also, we need to know that calling God's people to behave in a holy manner is not legalism. It only becomes legalism when we are more concerned with the outward than the person's heart. Obeying God's law is not legalism. Legalism says obey these laws so that God will love you. Holiness obeys God's laws because he does love us. Holiness is not a call into into legalism, but a call into relationship. Holiness isn't a call into legalism, it's a call into relationship. We cannot have fellowship with God unless we are holy. Hebrews says, you will not see the Lord if you are not holy. Some of us have a hard time entering into intimate worship with the Lord because we are busy being intimate with other things. This isn't just for young people, but I see a lot of young people struggling with being intimate in worship in youth group because they were intimate with pornography before they got there. And you can't be intimate with demons and be intimate with Jesus. This is spiritual warfare. We cannot be intimate with our idols and things of this world and also be intimate with him. We grieve the spirit when we sin. Now, holiness looks like legalism to those who are in compromise, but it's relationship to those who are in love. (sighs) Holiness looks like legalism to those who are intimate with the Father. When you're in love, there's not anything that you won't give up for him. There's not anything that I wouldn't do for my wife because I love her. I'll give up anything for her. I'll die a thousand times. It doesn't seem like legalism when you're in love. The the heart change becomes, what more could I give him? I've seen his face. There's no cost that is too great. Being radical becomes normal when you're in love. If the only attention you give God is showing up to church an hour and a half a week, it's not relationship. If you're more concerned with your church attendance than your prayer life, only showing him attention once a week is ridiculous. We're called to be obsessed and infatuated with him. He is our first love. He's our first love. We have to stay in the secret place. We have to stay in the word. We have to make worship and repentance a lifestyle. We have to abide. We have to remain. Listen, if you'll abide and remain, it is the key to obedience. If you'll stay with him, it is the key to obedience. Listen, this is why I believe, and and you may not exactly believe this, but this is why I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important. Because when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, Jesus says power comes upon you. And you begin to speak in unknown languages. And when you begin to speak in unknown languages, it's it's hard to sin when you're praying in the Spirit. That's why Paul says, "I I pray in the Spirit more than all of you. You've never looked at pornography and prayed in the Spirit at the same time. You've never had sex outside of marriage and prayed in the spirit at the same time. You've n- <laughs> you're not going to want to go on a binger this weekend if you're praying in the spirit all the time. God bless you. His laws aren't legalistic, they're freedom. They get us into true, abundant, blessed life, not outward but inward. And I've come into a place in relationship with him that I no longer want to see what I can get away with, but I want to see how close can I get to him. That's it. 
How close can I get to him? The, listen, the lawless heart says, show me in the Bible where that's wrong. The love infatuated heart says, show me. Because I want to know. It's the heart of David that says, Lord, is there anything in me that offends you? Because I want to get rid of it. Because I want more of you. And I know there's people in the room that says, well, you know, I've been struggling for this for a long time. I know we're over time. It's not my fault. It's It's Tim's fault. Blame Tim. (laughs) But listen, I'll tell you this all the time. I'll get you to lunch after the Baptist and before the Pentecostals. So it's a a sweet spot. So (laughs) I love Baptists and Pentecostals. I'm friends with both. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, but Baptists get out 1140, Pentecostals get out around 130. So, you know, I've been to both kinds of churches. (laughs) I know there's people in the room that ask, when will I be free? I hate it. I've been struggling for so long. I want to get rid of it. I got good news, friend, today. Today you can be free. Today is the day of salvation. What about tomorrow? Bible says don't worry about it. Don't worry about tomorrow. Holiness is lived one day at a time, friend. One day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow or the next week or the week after. Worry about your relationship with him today. And when you get up in the morning Say, God, not my will, but yours be done today. And you're going to overcome sin by focusing on him, not focusing on overcoming your sin. Because if I say, don't think about an elephant, what do you think about? So don't white-knuckle your way through sin. Focus on Jesus, and he will bring you freedom. And he will bring you freedom. And guess what? If you blow it, he doesn't leave. Grace is not God looking the other way. It's him coming into that darkness and saying, let me help you out of it. Okay? Another way I can explain this really good is if, if, if Sarah found out I was looking at porn tomorrow, she would not divorce me. Am I right? I hope so. I made that bold statement there. <laughs> If you're struggling, God's not, it's not like he's uninterested in you. He wants to help you. He wants to come into that place and pull you out. He's got freedom for you. He's saying, there's more in the house for you. It's the goodness of him that draws you into that place of repentance. Last thing, and then we'll be done. John chapter 8. John 8, this is the perfect balance between legalism and lawlessness. Verse 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his fingers. They kept demanding an answer, so he stooped down again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. There's grace. 
Go and sin no more. There's truth. I want to end with this. Truth without grace is legalism. Grace without truth is lawlessness. He did not say, go and keep doing what you were doing. Jesus was, Jesus was the only one who had a right to throw the stone. He had a right to throw the stone and he didn't. Grace. Why? Because throwing the stone would just kill her and that's exactly what the law does to us. It kills us. We can't bear the weight of it. He shows her grace and then he tells her truth. Stop living this way. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He died to set us free from sin in this life right now. Well, I'm human. You don't know what I struggle with. I may not, but I know there's power in the blood of Jesus. I know there's nothing too dirty that he can't clean. And there's no prison chain too strong that he can't break. And people think sometimes when I die, then I can be free. Then I can experience God's glory and goodness. And I'm, I'm telling you today, friend, you can experience it right now. Eternal life is now. It's not one day when you die. If you think freedom from what you're struggling with is going to come when you die, then death is your savior. Jesus came to set you free. He came to liberate you. We were given an invitation over 2,000 years ago to come into relationship with him. He didn't die for some day. He died so the door could be open to you right now. Y'all stand with me. There's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way. You don't have to be bound. You don't have to struggle your whole life. You don't have to walk around offended. You don't have to walk around angry. You don't have to walk around full of lust all the time. There's a better way. Let us be careful that we don't fall into these ditches. Let us be Those who tend to be more legalistic, let us recognize that in our life and let us recognize that we need more grace and we need more love. And those who err on the side of lawlessness or err on the side of giving too much grace and telling people it's okay, you can do that. that is a, that's a, a huge demonic attack on our nation right now is that you can do whatever you want and get away with it. And it's not from the Lord. It's not, friend. There's a law in here, and it's good. It's not heavy. It's not heavy. It's freedom. Well, how long will I, how long will I have these feelings? How long will I struggle with this? How long, will I, how long will I have that temptation? I don't know, but temptation is the proof that you're free because you can say no. The Holy Spirit empowers you to say no. If there was no temptation, you wouldn't be free because you would be a slave to it. You would have to do it. It would force you to do it. There's freedom. The crockpot's done. Somebody's ringing. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these beautiful people. I thank you so much for this amazing church. I thank you so much for every man, woman, and child in this place. Holy Spirit, 
Where you are, there is freedom. And ask that you would bring freedom right now. I know there's people in this room that this message hit home with, that it convicted. Lord, I, I, I loose your power. I loose your freedom in this place to touch the hearts of those that are far from you, those cold hearts that need to be made alive, those, those rocky hearts that have no love for their brother. God, I ask that you would break that down right now in Jesus' name. Yes. Break that down in Jesus' name. Break down the legalistic heart, God, that makes homosexuality the worst sin but yet they gossip behind closed doors. Let us take the plank out of our own eye before we look for the speck in others' eyes. Lord, give us a heart and a love for those who are struggling with what gender they are. Give us a heart and love for those struggling with their sexual identity. Lord, show us how to to teach them that their identity is not found in their sexual temptation, but their identity is found in you. There's no such thing as a gay Christian, just like there's no such thing as an angry Christian. We're just Christian. We find our identity in you, Jesus. Not in what we struggle with. We find our identity in you, Jesus. Lord, give us a heart for those that are lost. Give us a heart for the ones stuck in lawlessness and give us a heart for those who are stuck in legalism show us how we can shine bright to every church in this community show us how we can walk in truth and grace and love and mercy all married together like you meant for them to be teach us how to follow your way how to walk on the path of holiness lord convict us of our sins convict us of the the areas in which we're falling short so that we can be more like you so that we can supernaturally walk and bring people back into relationship with you, Lord. We love you, God. We're so grateful that you sent your son, Jesus, when we were once addicts and idolaters and drunks. We were once sexually immoral. We were once stuck in that sin. But Jesus, you came and set us free. You came and cleansed us, not by any work that we did, just because you're good and just because you love us. That our relationship is restored to the point that we can walk boldly into the throne room today and say, here we are, Lord. We love you. Holy Spirit, fill us. Go before us this week. Conquer our enemies for us as we walk behind you. Come behind us and clean up the mess that we make. Come alongside of us as we live this life for you. Let Christian ministries be a lighthouse to this community, to to this community, to this city, to this nation. Lord, we have the heart of Isaiah that says, here we are, Lord, use us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.